heavily, I'm a clown. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Bitcoin Echo Chamber live show. Current time in Moscow, 2,881. Joined, as always, by my co-host, Mr. Ben Prentice. Ben, how are you? I'm well, sir. How are you today? Doing good, man. Feeling great. Awesome. Obviously in a, in a different location here. An undisclosed location? Yeah, undisclosed. <laughs> are, you, are you like working with the CIA? Are you a spook now, too? Correct. I've actually always been a spook. My boss is a spook as well. That's how he got the uh, interview with the president. Did you hear oh, this? Pedro? Yeah. Yes. I think everyone knows Pedro's a spook. Yes. Well, he's, he's, he's very open about it. Oh, you the know? way he's... he conducts himself. You can tell. <laughs> just pick him out of a room. Well, I, so I also have spook privileges because I work for him, you know, so. True. Right. You have a direct line to spook. You're basically a, uh, a spook child. <laughs> yes. Um, should we do a mempool update? Yeah, go for it. I think my graph, my graphics are in the wrong order here. Get but you I think pinned. if I pop this up over here. Uh, so yeah, pretty interesting uh, week here. We definitely had a huge rise in transactions. Um, so I'm not sure what's happening because we haven't seen much change in the price, Colin. So I don't know if this is pre-price or if it was just it was just a low week. But um, man, we've seen huge spikes uh, going up into the 80s, 90s, even. Um, hundreds uh of sapper bite um luckily we are still seeing a nice little fall so if uh, you're still trying to get some transactions done on the weekend do some consolidation if you have low time preference and you're willing to wait you know within 12 to 24 hours you probably get stuff in under five five sats per bite but um that's gonna it's gonna take a little bit of uh a little bit of nail biting. It might, it might, you might have to wait a week for those transactions, depending on what happens, because uh, it seems like a little bit of uncertainty, Colin. So we were seeing, what was it? Towards the end, right before the difficulty adjustment. So we had the biggest difficulty adjustment in Bitcoin's history, downwards difficulty adjustment, right? Mm -hmm. And I think right before we saw that, there was a time where hours were going by and no blocks were propagating. Was that correct? Yeah, so that's definitely some of it's contributing to the transactions because there are just literally less blocks that yeah, are happening. Yeah, just a buildup of fee um, pressure. But that two-hour, um, there was a two-hour window where a block didn't happen, and that that is an event that happens once, like once a year. So it's it's not it's just you know everything's probabilistic. So like sometimes like really long block times just happen. Sure. Um, but but yes, in general, blocks were taking I think fifteen, closer to twenty minutes. So. Um, you know, the same out of transaction volume, um, given the lower block rate, you're going to get more, more. So what we're seeing here, obviously, is the minor death spiral. Yes, that is what I'm saying. So Bitcoin is dying. I think we should pack it up, Colin, yeah. um, which I mean, I know we've said before, but I, I mean, definitely. I For real this time. Pack yeah. it up, boys. <laughs> yes. Um, speaking of uh, Bitcoin dying, um, our, our good buddy Brad Sherman uh, was uh, in a nice regulatory meeting this this week. Did you see this, Colin? Is this our our misadventures of no coiners? I, it could be. Why not? <laughs> um, yeah. So Brad Sherman, uh, if if you're not familiar, good friend of the Bitcoin ecosystem. Um, <laughs> 
Well, he's actually, Colin, don't laugh. Brad Sherman is one of the smartest um, Bitcoin commentators that works in the U.S. government. One of um, our because, best critics. No, but no, he is. He, he was the first, um, I believe, congressman to uh, point out that the Bitcoin is a, a very big threat to the U.S. government. Mm -hmm. um, threatens dollar uh, sovereignty. Yep. Threatens the dollar sovereignty. So, he's one of the you know, few who gets it. Yeah, hats off to Brad Sherman for pointing that out before any of the other. Um, but so he came out today and he did he did have some missteps, Colin. So um, if you want me to go, I can go over them real quick. Yeah, let's can... let's see. Yeah, so adventures the... of no coiners. Let's do it. <laughs> so the first thing uh, he came out with, he said um, millions and millions of uh, double spent bitcoins, which is absolutely not true. Uh, there was that FUD that happened earlier this year. He must have found some FUD article and didn't do any research on it and, and started talking about double spends. Double spends basically just don't happen. Um, he also might have been looking at the RBF stuff, which is uh, mostly a UI issue. Um, but uh, our double spends essentially just don't happen, especially if you wait one confirmation or two confirmations. Mm. Um, so outright lie there. Um, yeah, he also, he's um, unfortunately part of the... Um, what do you call it? The, I, uh, I do have to wonder like if he was uh lumping in like other cryptocurrencies with that metric or or what like where i don't know he just pulled that out of his ass or what yeah and that's a common um issue is how some of these pol politicians talk they'll interchangeably use cryptocurrencies and bitcoin in the same sentence and refer to one and mean the other right. um and they refer use to the other and mean bitcoin the like the the brand name to refer to the generic product like kleenex for tissue or like yes um and then so he also is a subscriber to the um the fallacy of uh what do you call it oh, it's greater again. fool the greater fool yes thank you um where he said that the only way that one person can uh, make money is by ever like nine other people losing money which is is not true because bitcoin is actual money we're not selling bitcoin for us dollars um, and I think that's probably his disconnect there. So maybe he should um, do a little bit more research on monetary economics. I just want to I want to help him get up to speed here. Yeah, well, um, I mean, the other thing that he, I guess, has probably had a difficult time reconciling with is that the majority of people who have bought Bitcoin in the past have made money quite a lot, actually. Right. With the he, exception of people who bought in the last like six months, maybe. Right, so but he feels that he they're only making money because other because people of have somehow fools. lost. Yes, yeah. right. Which um, and he doesn't understand that all mon monetary um, assets are forms of Ponzi schemes, including the stock market um, that he said that people should be investing in instead. Um, sure. Which uh, he also claimed that Bitcoin is too volatile, but um, the stock market is also volatile. Um, well, did you see the thread from that woman with the PhD in economics who was? basically lecturing everyone about how she sold all her bitcoin because bitcoin is non-productive money and if it were to ever become money then no one would ever buy anything anymore and they'd all just farmers would literally just hold bitcoin and not grow crops because it wouldn't be profitable no i didn't see it was that. ridiculous it was like 11 11 tweet thread from this woman with a phd in macroeconomics who was just like yep sold all my bitcoin and you should too and here's why and it was like, well, essentially because if we have a deflationary money, no one would ever do anything. Because we all know humans have a time preference of zero and the entire world economy would grind to a halt. Right. Um, and yeah, and just like, I think that's really well evidenced by the electronics sector because just nobody buys electronics and all of those um, companies that, you know, sell electronics are all under their own death spirals. Right, Colin? Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. This is your brain on a PhD. 
Um, deflationary uh, economies are, are something that are very poorly understood, um, which I will I will give folks which, a, a small benefit of the doubt here. But I, I mean, I don't I don't mean to cut you off, but like, <laughs> dude, like the the vast majority of our history, hum, hu, human history was deflationary, uh, a deflationary paradigm, and some of the most rapid growth that we've ever seen were under deflationary monies. You know, obviously, with the, the information age is the outlier, right? Because we've had this just rapid explosion of technology and information that's rapidly changed the world in the last decade. Under, and I, you know, we argue in spite of inflation, um, in spite of the, the legal monopoly on the money creation process. Well, I'd argue that that explosion in technology has been met with an explosion in inflation and and actually what has kind of allowed in a way and that's a weird word to use here but um has allowed these this crazy monetary expansion is the in like a crazy explosion of deflation right so it's it's these you know I always talk about these balances and forces so deflation is this force inflation uh, monetary expansion is a force that has an inflationary force and it because we've had so much deflation We've had more inflation, but but more importantly, what I, I it is the very metric that people point to that say, "Hey, look, we're much better off today than we were previously." Is deflation? And they don't realize they're doing it. They're like, "Well, look at all this stuff that you can buy today." And it's like, "Yeah, that's that's deflation, guys." Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? Um, oh no, well that was obviously because of the government. Well, but but. Uh, can you can you expand on that? Yeah, the government spends more money today than they did before, and that's why our lives are better. Well, no, but we're literally objectively saying that because we can get more things into our lives, that it, because of deflation, literally, yeah, it's all the government. I don't, I don't think that that's accurate. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm trying to steal Manu here. Uh, yeah, it's not working, uh, no. or maybe, or maybe. Uh, anyway. Um, Back to Brad Sherman. Uh, just one last point that he, um, Brad Sherman's financial advice for Americans is that they should be buying California lottery tickets instead of Bitcoin. So instead of investing in a sound deflationary economy, mm. they should literally just be gambling mm. um, because that benefits him. I wonder what Brad Sherman's track record is. Like, what did he have to say about the internet or computers or Apple or Amazon? You know, like I wonder if he if he's always been a luddite or if it's just in regards to monetary revolutions. Well, I don't know the answer to that, but I, what I do know is that his his biggest thing that he pushes back on Bitcoin is is the the issue with how it becomes hard to KYC. Uh, it becomes hard to track transactions. So mm. he's one of these folks that you know. Again, I, I always argue that. Um, when you when you create a government position or an organization, um, the job of that organization is to find more things that it can do so it can get more funding and stay relevant, right? So when you have politicians and and you give them the job of of trying to police everything and and track all these transactions, they're gonna go do that, right? And when they find this thing that um, kind of obviates all that, mm. uh, then they they find the need to find issues with it, I guess. But, but I mean, what obviously what's being glossed over here is that KYC does tons of damage. It, it has a um, huge burden of cost on the systems itself, which get passed on to the consumers. Um, doesn't really actually catch anything. Um, billions of dollars are laundered through the, the traditional banking systems, which are full of KYC, um, obviously. 
Um, huge data leaks in the United States and Canada. Um, yeah, all how much did, did Deutsche Bank get charged with for laundering? It was like, a, it was a lot. I don't remember the exact number. It was like billions. Yeah, far more money is laundered through the traditional systems than through uh, Bitcoin. And and because of the immutable record of Bitcoin, um, they can actually go catch people. Um, like with the, uh, the um, what do you call it, the pipeline shutdown, this, mm. you know, last few months ago, they, they went and got that money back, right? Right. Like, Assuming in the future they still exist and have the resources to be able to track down these people, anything on the immutable record could eventually one day be prosecuted for. Given due process and, you know, actually... Well, allegedly. <laughs> no, what I'm saying, like, you know, you, you have to... What's harder to do with Bitcoin is this blanket surveillance, totalitarian control, panopticon thing. Yeah. What you can do is if you go find this one case where there's this hacker that stole, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, blah, 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 for this pipeline, they go find that thing and they go get it back, right? We're using due process, so. Allegedly. <laughs> I'm just saying this because, you know, I, I think maybe at some point in the future, governments won't have the resources to be able to um, try to monitor this network because they're not going to be able to continue to borrow and spend like they do. Um, and like you said, you know, you could probably come up with a lot of examples, especially recently, of government organizations, three-letter organizations, bureaucracies, getting involved in things that they really had no business in, or like that their organization or branch of the government um, originally had no business in. It's why you see central banks talking about climate change. Uh, you know, you would think that that should have, or now every every one of these zombie corporations, their number one priority, like go look on all their websites and go listen to all of their press conferences. Their number one priority is the health and safety of their customers. None of them care about actually servicing, you know, consumers needs or delivering whatever products they produce. Now their number one priority is your health and safety. Why? <laughs> well, just perspective wise, right? We have to think about what it's like to be in one of these things. And it's like, a, if you know you have this narrative of deficits don't matter, we can spend as much money as we want, and and B, you have this organization that is a you know a government organization you work for. Would you ever sit to yourself and say, hey, I think we should make this thing smaller. I think we should fire Nancy yeah. and and like you know let's we need let's fewer contract employees next year. Yeah, contract the size of this thing. Um, you know that's just not going to happen. It's so it's, out of hand. It's, outward expansion um that is just constant pressure yeah and you see this if you have ever worked in government you experience this firsthand like it, it's not even necessarily like inherently or implicitly evil like people are not sitting around there like we need mm -hmm. to make this organization bigger we need more control and more power it's just kind of a product of the culture it's like well we're trying to fit 10 pounds of shit into this five pound bag uh the government needs to give us more we need more resources we need more ability because you're always going to be stifled by all the bureaucracy accomplish trying to accomplish way more than you can with what you have because that's just the nature of government work it's always inefficient and it's always like usually a lot of times the end goals and the processes aren't even productive uh, and you, at the end of the day, a lot of times have nothing to show for it other than checking the boxes the bureaucrats wanted. So, like, it's, there's kind of this attitude of the government needs to give us more resources, more money, more people, more power, more ability to do our job. Um, even though your job, at the end of the day, probably isn't that important, you might think it is, you might feel like it is, but that doesn't mean that it is because the market doesn't demand it. But there's this spider web of 
bureaucracy that's layered on top of this and the incentives of a what i just mentioned this inflationary paradigm where deficits don't matter and blah 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 we can spend as much money as we want but also this um this 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 web of bureaucracy that i'm talking about kind of obfuscates and obscures the uh, any kind of kind of accountability right i mean obviously um you know you you argue very well that um a free market actor um, has to compete for the customer's dollar and that government organizations don't. But I, like a lot of these organizations are completely unelected, right? Mm. Um, and so it's like, where's the accountability? It's just completely um, detached from from these organizations. Right, so. and, and a lot of it is like pseudo accountability. Like in a lot of cases, these organizations are accountable to themselves or they're, or they're very circular. Like the guy who now does the audits and he, the one that he's accountable to, well, he used to be in charge of this department and like, he gets it. He knows how it is. I don't know. It's just, um, it's kind of, it's very circular. It was like, or, or, you know, your government is accountable to it's to the government. You know what I mean? Like think mm -hmm. of when you think about it like that is like, okay, this guy from the government is accountable to this guy for the government. And you expect that there won't be any kind of shenanigans going on there. Yeah. And then there's the, the concept that you get out, you know, you make some regulations and you get out of your government position. Um, maybe, maybe because you did a bad job and they got you out. Right. Cause there was actually some accountability and then you just go get a private sector job and benefit yeah. from, yeah. um, you the, see that the regulations lot. that you created. The revolving so. door of Washington and wall street. You see that yeah. a lot. You see people go from regulation where they, where they make extremely narrow, um, like extremely burdensome and, and narrow regulations in a certain industry. And then as soon as they get done making all those regulations, they go right over to the private sector to work in, you know, the one or two legal monopolies that they created. Um, and then you see the other side of it too. You see like people from the private sector involved in certain types of those industries then go into regulation. Um, it's pretty, pretty disgusting, but that, this is like classic, um, it's like you can trace this all the way back to like, you know, Theodore Roosevelt and the whole breakup, anti-monopoly, break up the corporate structure nonsense that, that essentially did nothing except create a whole lot more monopoly in the country because most monopolies, in fact, if not every monopoly, is a legal monopoly. Uh, and this is what so many people miss, like even just a corporation, like people get really upset. They say, oh, the corporations are too powerful. They have all these resources and all of these special privileges that the average person doesn't get. But that's capitalism for you. Well, where do all of those legal privileges come from? They don't come from capitalism. They come from the government. The government grants those powers to the corporations. They're the ones that make them more powerful than the individual, than and unable to compete with the small businesses. As usual, uh, the, the reoccurring theme on this show is the show me the incentives and I'll show you the outcome, right? Mm. Was that Munger who said that? Oh, interesting. Yeah, because he, he was the one that was praising the CCP this week, right? Did you see that? I did. <laughs> yeah. What is with these people? So China had their, what did they call it? Their centennial anniversary or whatever, where, yes. um, which, what does that even is that is that 50 years is that what that meant 100 centennial is 100 Makes right sense. but the ccp hasn't been around for 100 years because the chinese communist revolution happened after world war ii oh, was it a bicentennial i don't know i don't really care about this i thing. thought it said so centennial but um first of all the fact that they still exist has only been made possible by the west buddying up with them you know go look into what kissinger did right around 1971 on uh, the behest of the Nixon administration, 
China shouldn't still exist. They should have gone the way of the Soviet Union, but because America decided that it would be um, profitable for them in the short term to buddy up with them and offshore all of their manufacturing, uh, they basically sold out, you know, the the principles of liberty and capitalism of the West to China and basically transferred all of the profits to them and allowed them to continue to exist, despite the fact that they were this totalitarian, disgusting organization that killed millions and millions of innocent people, starved many of them to death, put them in yeah. cages, beat them to death. And, and unlike some kind of temporary trade war measures because of the Triffin dilemma and infinite monetary expansion, um, they have hollowed out the middle class manufacturing. And now as a country, we produce almost nothing and are 100% reliant on, on China for a lot of things. And it's contributed to slave labor there and all these other issues. As, so as well. what China, what the CCP basically said was that now they're going to be taking their steps towards, you know, becoming a great socialist country that they finally built out their their base, right? And now they have a burgeoning middle class and they're they're going to turn China into a great socialist country, which is all part of the narrative, right? It's like, "Oh, look, it works, guys. Like you can do it too. You can be as great as China one day." Anybody who buys that knows nothing of history. You know, go look at what it took for China to become what it is, and China is only uh has any semblance of prosperity today because of all of the money that they're funneled by the West because of the dovish trade policies uh, purported by our politicians. And I'm for free trade. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm all for free trade. But we can't compete. The West cannot compete because our industries are so overregulated that we can't have manufacturing base here because it's just so much cheaper to do it in China. And why is that? That's because of the regulation. It's not because we can't compete uh, in terms of you know labor or in terms of uh, just raw ability or, or any of that. It's only because from a regulatory standpoint, it's too expensive to do what you can do in China for a fraction of the price. Yeah, two things on that. One, um, part of that's because of IP law, right? So they, you know, they always talk about, oh, China copies everything we do. It's like, well, they don't have IP law, right? Mm -hmm. And um, there's no know, reciprocity for IP in, in and, China with the West. Well, yeah, right. I mean, there might be laws, but there's just nobody, nobody hears them anyway, right? There's right. no, there's nothing that stops them. And Per Bailund, um, if you don't follow Per Bailund on Twitter, he's, uh, he is a Bitcoiner, but he almost never tweets about Bitcoin. He only talks about economics, and he makes this really amazing point that. Um, IP law is BS because um, it is not inventing something that um, gives value to society. It is bringing it to market, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. So IP law protects the inventor and is a is a legal monopoly, as we know. It's a form of um, rent seeking. No, form of rent seeking, but bringing it, an actual product to market is what pro provides value to society, not the invention itself, right? Um, and then the second thing I wanted to mention there is that um, you know this whole uh, their communism is succeeding or socialism, whatever. The, they're calling it in uh, China. Didn't they like start out more socialist and totalitarian that had to like open up more capitalism um, in order to make things actually function? Right. Well, that, that's right. how it always goes with these countries. The, right. the uh, USSR had to do the exact same thing. It's because mm -hmm. they can't survive because central planning doesn't work. And that's why, you know, millions of people starved to death in, during the Chinese Communist Revolution is because they just couldn't do it. I mean, I talk about it a lot, but it you know, until you like actually go and look at the numbers and the number of people that died and read some of the stories about some of the living conditions. I mean, at one point in time, people in China were so poor that they were the women were having to cut their hair off and give it to the government so they could make a rope. 
you know, people were eating mud and tree bark because they're all the rice spoiled because of the central planters. Like we're talking about people that were so poor they had to, the government showed up to collect taxes and they had nothing to give. So they gave them the clothes off their back and then froze to death during winter. So in, in a lot of ways, this is exactly what happened in social, you know, um, in the USSR. Um, it, it's, you know, history rhymes. It doesn't repeat exactly. But essentially, this, you know, a country like the USSR accumulates all this capital. You know, capitalism is working very well. And then socialism comes along, consumes all that capital. And because of very poor pricing information, people don't produce the right things. Everything gets um, consumed and, and eaten away. And then they have to, like, go back to capitalism. And that's essentially right, right. What, what Chinese doing, that they're just, like, keeping as much control as they can, but, like, allowing capitalism to actually work so that they can actually produce things. Well, um, and don't forget that every nation state is capitalist. Uh, uh, when it comes to trade at the international market level, every mm-hmm. nation state is capitalist, with the exception less and less so with the U.S. because now and now we give away more foreign aid and do all types of these weird special kickbacks and uh, lots of geopolitical chess. Uh, and you could argue that that's in a lot of ways not capitalist. Um, but on a grand scale, like in terms of trade, internationally speaking, nation states are capitalist it's just because that's the way the world works and you can deny your the ability to trade freely and openly to your constituency but you can't deny it on a global level not unless you know the globalists eventually get their way and establish central planning at a at a higher level than at the nation state level um yeah um i oh and our buddy elon musk he was tweeting about how great (laughs) china is too he's like oh you need to go and see it for yourself and and this is the part that, like, where you can tell that this guy has ulterior motives. Either, you know, because I, I don't think he's stupid. I tweeted about this uh, yesterday, too. Like, I don't think Elon Musk is stupid, but I think he's playing both sides of the field here. You know, like, I think he's protecting his prominent, profitable position as a cantillionaire, um, knowing that China is kind of priming itself to sort of take the reins here, and he wants to maintain his position of prominence, and that's why he's sucking the CCP dong. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, he owns some Bitcoin, right? So he's hedging his bets a little bit, in my opinion. Um, I think that China is a paper tiger. I think the vast majority of their growth has been in, from just extreme over-leveraging of debt, you know, like we all do now, because that's the paradigm of central banking. But this can't continue. This can't continue in the West, and it can't continue in China. And I don't think China is getting ready to fix it with a deflationary currency either. I mean, it could be wrong. I think it's really probable about Elon. The other possibility is that, I mean, they're, Colin, I don't know if you know this or not, but there's a lot of people in the world that don't understand economics and think they do. Um, and it's it's very possible that, you know, somebody like Elon's like, oh, like, you know, I mean, probably he's benefiting in some way for sure, but like he may actually be deluded enough to think that this is a, a good thing. Because there are a lot of people today that are relatively smart people that, that like socialism. Sure, um, yeah, they're, they're all for wealth redistribution or whatever, yeah. whatever they think that means in their head, like it mm-hmm. sounds good to them, or it's just the popular thing to say. Yeah, sure, no, I agree. But I think your theory is more probable. <laughs> better articulated i mean don't get like you know don't get me wrong i have the dude blocked on twitter <laughs> I, I think he's i think he's certainly he acts like an asshole um, people keep bringing him up did you see what he tweeted? i'm like no i don't yeah i don't care. I have him blocked he's irrelevant um i don't care if at this point if the you know unwashed masses um follow his every tweet and buy dog fuck short shit come coin and get wrecked on it because at this point that's you know they they they've had their chance to um you know find the truth and and they're not they just you know I, it's it's sad because like 
I, I, I've heard about the like the people that actually like follow Dogecoin. They're like, oh, Elon is like, they they don't actually um, care to do any real thought about this. They're no. just like yeah, they thinking. It's like Elon tweeted about our thing. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, and, like, and then there's like a lot fair, of fair weather guys that show up that are like, oh, well, if Elon likes Dogecoin, then I'm a Dogecoin guy. Like, oh God. Yeah, I, so. I had conversations with those people, and Dogecoin like look. People, people have gotten pretty wrecked in that. Like, if you were buying Dogecoin at, like, 60 cents or whatever, it went up to. And this is the time when a little bit of toxic maximalism uh, of saying, you know, Brad Sherman, you you can be in this boat, too. You guys can all have fun staying poor on that because uh, you guys got to do the work. <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty embarrassing to see. I, I hate this, man. Like, I, I mean, I don't know. I know it's inevitable. I know we talk about it, like tragedy of the commons right you're you're never gonna get a lot of people into bitcoin um but number will go up number will continue to go up and dogecoin may probably not be around forever um it's eventually gonna go the way of the dodo so i just hate to see people i mean you know i guess you could argue uh it has to happen right because it's the redistribution of wealth um from the productive to the, from the non-productive to the productive uh in a lot of ways well I say we take a, a short break from economics because, um, and, and this is uh, here. So one of the ways that Bitcoin will win is by solving real problems in real ways, right? Um, that, you know, things that Dogecoin developers are not going to do. Um, so I, I had a few um, things I wanted to mention. To, oop, I have the, there we go. Um, I want to talk about any prev out, um, which is, you know, Bitcoin literally improving, right? So we got Taproot uh, on the way. I know people start talking about ossification, um, but there are a f we, we do need any prep out um, to move the Lightning Network forward. And, you know, number go up is fueled by things like this. So um, just briefly, if you guys haven't read about any prep out, um, this would be the next taproot, right? We need to get any prep out into the lexicon the same way we got taproot into the lexicon. Um, and I just pulled up a few quick things here um, to show you what any private will enable. Um, but mo mostly it is it's great for the Lightning Network because it, it allows L L2 um, where there's no penalty transactions. Um, it's it's much cheaper. Um, it eventually can lead to multi-party channels like channel factories, although um, I, I have heard that, you know, that's not not like a pipe dream, but like very complex, very hard, like cross cross input signature aggregation hard. Uh, which is another thing I always talk about. Um, but but definitely you can go to anyprevout.xyz and learn about why this is uh, very important. Interesting. Um, are, is there any expectation as to, you know, so like we don't even have Taproot actually implemented yet. Uh, right. Is there any expectation on what it would look like to get this uh, actually merged? Yeah, the good news is this is not a taproot level upgrade. This is relatively simple. Um, speaking from that regard, um, some of the other things that you know are, are are in this list, you know, might be slightly farther off. But any private itself, um, there are people working on it right now. I'm escaping my, I can't remember the devs that are working on it right now. But hmm. much much easier to get through than even taproot itself, from what I understand. That's good because I still don't fully understand taproot. <laughs> right. Well, it, it sometimes sometimes this stuff is by osmosis, so that's why I like to talk about it. I'm no expert on this stuff either. I just try to follow it as closely as I can. Sure. Um, so I'm learning with everybody else here. So yeah. any prev out. Isn't this what Max was talking about when we had him on? 
Yes. Yeah. Any about dot X Y Z uh, is a nice primer on that. Um, and then if you want to, you want to jump into covenants real quick. Sure. Yeah. Let's. So, are covenants vaults? Right. So vaults is a name that I believe Brian Bishop gave to um, covenants because uh, he was talking about. So let's just kind of do a brief overview before I uh, get into this. Um, basically. Well, for anybody who, who doesn't even know what a vault is, I did that episode with uh, Kevin uh, yes. a few weeks ago on vaults. So if you want to learn about vaults, go listen to that. And I, I feel like I, I, by the end, I was able to explain kind of in layman's terms like what a vault is and how it works. Okay, so let me give a brief thing, and then I'll, you can do a brief thing on, on vaults. But basically, what we're talking about is just like interesting spending conditions for Bitcoin, where you lock them in, up in a specific way, where now you have some new spending so instead of just like hey so right now most transactions are the spending conditions are if a private key signs this transaction it can move hmm. that's that's a spending condition and then a multi-sig would have well now you need a quorum of two out of three or th three out of five mm -hmm. in order to move the trend so a, a covenant or a vault or, or some of these other more complex spending conditions are just adding more more um restrictions on the, the UTXO saying, well, maybe it can only go to this this place or um, or some time lock or something like that. So, did, did you want to just briefly say what um, what you were learned about vaults? So, vaults are a little bit different in the sense that um, you're, you're. It's basically like I don't want to. It's it's basically like scripting that. Um, well, they're they're pre-signed transactions. So there's watchtowers that watch uh, for any transaction that gets signed that meets like whatever its criteria is that goes to like say an address that it hasn't approved or it doesn't approve of uh and then if it sees that if the watchtower sees that then it's going to push out a pre-signed pre transaction with the highest priority to overwrite whatever's in the mempool so it's essentially a way to limit you know where you can spend bitcoin or how you can spend bitcoin um so in that sense it's similar but i get the feeling it's a little bit different than what we're talking about here no, so I mean, these are all part of the same paradigms I'm saying is that there's just, there are ways to encumber your Bitcoin with more restrictions, right? Um, so, But what what a covenant sounds like is a script, is actually on-chain scripting that, uh, it sounds different than, than a vault, because it doesn't sound like it involves like a watchtower. What I would say transaction. is all, okay, all covenants are more restrictive spending conditions, mm -hmm. and all vaults are forms of covenants. So it's you're, we're talking about later. So your vaults are a specific type of covenant. Covenants okay. is a very broad term that's just saying uh, we're looking at more interesting ways to encumber our Bitcoin. Okay. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. 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 Cool. And and I don't really think I I know yeah I know you're gonna get into it, but I don't really think <laughs> that this is um like a as big of a deal as people want me to believe it is. I don't think that it's uh as much of a threat as some people would like me to believe it is. But I could be wrong. I'm, I change my mind all the time. Well, so to be fair, this is, um, you know, I was chatting with Shinobi um, on Twitter Spaces uh, the other day, and uh, he, he was like, we were talking, it, it briefly came up about Covenants, and he said, I'm actually just decided I'm writing an article, and then like later today, he, he released this, or later yesterday, he released this article, and I just read it this morning, and I thought it was interesting. Um, so, you know, we've, we've talked about what Covenants are, um, and, and Shinobi, you should read his article, I just, I tweeted out a few minutes ago, so you can go check it out on my Twitter feed. Um, but he was saying, what if you could do something like a covenant, but you could structure your Bitcoin scripts so that both the ostensible owner could spend it, 
but so could the government with their own key. So you're like making a spending condition that the government could also just kind of take your money, right? And then what if that script also enforced that the UTXL could only ever be spent to a similar script without ever having to define the ostensible owner's key ahead of time, saying that now you've created this UTXO that the government can just steal at any time, but also that UTXO, no matter where it goes afterward, has the same restriction, right? Um, and in, then, in a way, this would basically turn the government into like the clearinghouse, right? Because they're yes. they're the ones that have to authorize essentially every single transaction. It's it's like saying they're adding back in this um, the what do you call it? Like they're removing finality, right? Mm -hmm. in, in a way. Um, and this kind of reminds me of the conversation that I, we were getting into with that guy about the El Chivo wallet with El Salvador, where he was arguing that. Um, the problem with the El Chivo wallet even existing is that it's going to be Bitcoin in and then you'll never be able to take your Bitcoin out, um, which I would argue, you know, and I was arguing and, and you kind of did too. And I think we both ended up muting the guy because he was being obstinate. But we were basically like, well, look, if you're going to remain interoperable with Bitcoin, like the Bitcoin network, you can't do that because just the ability to send a transaction to anybody that doesn't have an El Chivo wallet, which they could do, they could make it a closed system and so that you could only transact with other El Chivo wallet users, but that's the only way for them to make it so that you can't, quote unquote, withdraw your Bitcoin. Um, I feel like this is kind of the similar thing. Like, yeah, they could do this, uh, but you're going to isolate all of the, these Bitcoin, whatever constituency you're doing this to you're enforcing this on you're isolating them from the bitcoin network as a whole and don't get me wrong yeah governments are going to want that power they, of course they're going to want to do that um but i would argue that at this point um it might be too late for them to try to do something like this without simply just isolating and devaluing whatever bitcoin they lock into these scripts yeah, I mean, and and like he says, without a, a hard fork. So maybe maybe this could be hard forked out. I I don't know. Um, I, I think this is interesting. I just think it warrants a little bit more discussion. I'm surprised that he kind of just dropped this bomb in a in a in a paper. So I maybe I'll have a chat with him. Maybe, um, I, and learn more about it. I just I again I thought it was interesting. I don't really know enough about this to try to decide whether or not it's a threat. Um, just found it fascinating. Well, I mean, like you like let's call. All these, like, let's say, so let's say all these coins that have this script on them, um, just call them, like, U.S. Bitcoin, right? Mm -hmm. And you, it's a closed system. So you can only transact with other addresses that are, quote-unquote, approved within the U.S. Bitcoin system. Well, in my opinion, every single coin that goes into this system makes the coins that aren't in the system more valuable because now there's less coins to go around in the actual Bitcoin network. Whatever this becomes, like, is not... The Bitcoin network. It's some other closed system that you have to have permission to transact in. And then that makes it inherently less valuable. And it's going to make the coins inherently less useful. Um, so any coins not in that are going to be more valuable. Uh, does that make sense? Yes, I agree. And one of the um, things that he goes into the paper later is like, how could this actually happen on a large scale? Is He's, and this is like way more outdoor and I, I think way less of an actual real threat. But what if um, a government funded real like solid 51% attack happened and they basically like help, you know, because a 51% attack at the very most is like a temporary, like you have to keep pumping money into it in order to try to, and really most of it's just a disruption. But what if they had enough of a disruption where they basically like forced 
large parts of the world to like encumber their transactions into US coin um, type spending conditions to try to like force this on people. And I was like, well, that's a little bit more far-fetched. Yeah, see, I find that pretty impractical. I find that pretty unrealistic. I find this pretty unrealistic as like a, a, a moment in time where this happens. Where I find this more likely um, is at the like exchange level. Uh, I could see regulators saying, okay, um, this new exchange, kind of like we're seeing with the whole um, FATFA compliant block thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you see one guy, one actor come out and do it, and they virtue signal about how great it is that they're compliant with this new Bitcoin, whatever, whatever. And, and it's sort of like, um, like whenever you buy Bitcoin on PayPal and you can't withdraw it, or at least I think you couldn't before, maybe you can now. But it's in a really similar way, right? It's like, yeah, this, this probably won't compete, but those will be the baby steps that you'd start to see, I think. Uh, and then maybe some regulator could make a law and say, okay, all exchanges now need to become a part of this U.S. Bitcoin system or we're going to shut you down. Those are the types of things that I think are more likely than a network-level attack mm-hmm. um, with mining infrastructure. I, I find that pretty unlikely. Agreed. There's still just um, there are long-term things to, to consider. Um, I say we move on. I got another interesting thing here. Um, a actually two people had uh, tagged me in this. Um, did you see this uh, 1971 mag here? Hold on, let me try to. Uh, I had seen this before. Oops. Yeah, I, I had seen this before, but yeah, I saw yeah, that we okay. had been tagged in this recently. So just briefly, I guess there was a magazine uh, article that came out August 27th, which is. Uh, little over 10 days after Nixon made his uh, famous announcement um, to go off the gold standard. Um, and this, I just found it like hilariously comical, this, uh, this, uh, this cover. So I obviously had to take a screenshot, but um, then somebody got, so somebody I know, Lauren got a hold of the magazine. Um, so shout out to Lauren Sickman, I believe is her name. Um, sorry if I'm screwing that up, but so like, let's like get into this here. What's hilarious um, about it is that imagine if you saw that today, like with, Bernanke and Yellen on there or something like that. Yeah, exactly. But so it's it's comically like presented as well. But like this here's like this little plan. It has like a timeline and stuff. Within weeks, we'll know if it worked. The economic bombshell, the freeze, and the future. And it's like kind of like dystopian in a way. But um, I pulled out uh, this. Uh, so it's just a few things here. So there was like a Q&A section uh, and there's some like famous economist that was doing the, the A's here. But uh, the question was like, how should individuals react to the new economy? Should they invest in the stock market? And the answer is like, consumers have been saving their money at a coolie record rate, right? It's like, those, you know, that demonic saving, like they're not spending their money. Uh, uh, and so due to uh, unemployment and fears caused by it, um, the inflation, which makes people think it's a bad time to buy. Um, both of these circumstances will now be better. Um, people will feel freer to go out and buy a new car and take a vacation. Like this is like propagandist type stuff. It's like, well, and he wasn't wrong either, right? I mean, no. all that stuff pretty much came to bear. Yes. Um, so, and then I found like later, and there's like there's an article about like Nixon's plan and him him meeting with all these people. Um, like Connolly was there, and there's um, some other guys there. But several times Nixon cautioned his men about the need for secrecy. Fortunes could be made and lost if word leaked out of this meeting. Um, do you know what I'm getting at with this one, Colin? Hmm. Um, basically, I I just that struck me because 
it goes back to this thing that we always talk about, about how if, if you're in the know about, you know, these large sweeping changes that are coming about, um, you can profit so much on this stuff, right? If you know, like when, you know, when 2008 happened or when um, quantitative easing happens and, you know, the, you can easily see where the tops and the bottoms of these markets are and you can get in and out on them. Uh, and uh, to me, that's just, it's just terrifying. But here they are like right out in the open saying like what exactly happened. So, you know, what's interesting to me about that article, what immediately stands out to me is that it mentions how people, it asks the question, like, should we go out and buy stocks, you know, or should we just like save our money? And it, the article talks about how a lot of people haven't been doing that because they're afraid of inflation, which kind of shows that it flips things on its head of the way, you know, because now we have hindsight, we can look back at all this economic data and see that the majority of inflation has made its way into assets in the last 50 years. Uh, if you knew what we know now back then, then you would have been borrowing as much money as well, maybe not borrowing, because you would have had to ride out the 80s. But um, right. you would the have been rates. accumulating as many assets as you possibly could, because you would understand, well, with this new change, we're basically making our way into a fully inflationary, expansionary monetary system. Um, now that it's you know, fully fiat and there's no redeemability of specie at the sovereign level and there's no accountability. Governments are going to continue to spend and expand as much as they can. Um, and it's going to cause a lot of asset inflation. Yeah, but Colin, you have to understand the context of this, right? Which is that he came out and said that this was temporary. So sure. if this inflation was temporary also, and they bought all these assets, and then there was deflation, then the price of those things would go down. And what this really illustrates, that that question, I think, is so illustrative of these people just sitting around going, well, what the, what the hell is going to happen? What do I do with my money? Like, I don't fucking know. And, and the reason you don't know is because it depends on what these fuckers do that control the, the world through these economic policies. That these people are just like fish flopping around like i don't know what to do next because like we legitimately don't like you yeah. have to read the fucking tea leaves right you see what i'm saying yeah no absolutely and it's not unprecedented you know i talk about it all the time it's not unprecedented that it may have been temporary right because there were plenty of temporary suspensions of redemption of species throughout america's history so mm -hmm. like it it yeah how how do you act um when you when you're when all of your economic decisions have to revolve around what seven men decide to do in a room in private and don't announce for weeks later. You, you can't plan for the future under that. You need an algorithmically programmed monetary distribution scheme uh, enforced mm. by a social consensus. Tell me more. <laughs> it's called Bitcoin. <laughs> Have you heard of it, idiot? <laughs> um, yes, I have. Good. <laughs> Buy some. Hoddle that shit. Well, I only have one last thing on uh, our, our list for today, and it's very, very brief here. Um, Spectre Wallet, um, I guess there was a, a scare that their Windows version um, had a virus on it, and it turns out it was a false alarm. But I wanted to commend their team for coming out and immediately uh, mentioning that it was a possibility that people should be, be aware, um, but also that it was a false alarm, and Spectre Wallet does appear to be safe for the time being. That's good. Assuming that that is true and there's nothing to worry about, it is good. And it's also always good to see them immediately not try to sweep it under the rug and put it on blast. That's yes. that's good to see. Yeah, shout out to Ben Kaufman. Yeah, I, I like Spectre. Spectre is like one of the only things I recommend outside of like Yeti as far as security protocols go. Well, they also have Spectre DIY, which we've mentioned Spectre, before on the show. That's what I'm talking about specifically yes. is Spectre DIY. 
So Spectre DIY, um, just briefly for the folks at home, uh, is taking off-the-shelf computer components and building a hardware wallet that is stateless, meaning it does not store your seed um, so that it can work as an offline signing device for your keys. Um, and it runs on open source code and you can do multi-sig using Spectre and the Spectre DOI hardware that you right. build yourself. Because if you think about it, all a wallet really is is a signing device. And if you think about it a little bit more, it makes more sense to have a wallet that doesn't store your keys and just acts as a signing device. And there are lots of convenient ways to do that now that people kind of figured out um, how, how, you know, I think it was Justin Moon that kind of really kicked this off with the BitBoy thing. BitBoy, yeah. Spectre kind of came and ran with it. Um, it's cool. Shout it's really shout cool. Shout out Justin Moon. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Anything else? The only other thing we could get into is the whole samurai wasabi thing, but I don't, I don't have much of a dog in the fight. I, just... I don't keep up with it, man. I, I have yeah. such samurai blocked, and that's mostly just because, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Like, I don't. Okay. So First of all, you, did I don't you hear what use... came out? What? Sorry, I, go, I mean, you can say your thing first, but did you, did you see what happened like two days ago? One no, day ago? go ahead, go ahead. So okay, basically, so, so there was a tweet, I mean, Giacomo basically called out Samurai. There oh, was I've seen this before. This, this, yeah, this, this is not new. This is not a new revelation where Samurai said that, that if you ever saw alts in their protocol, then they were compromised. Correct. Yeah, this is not and, new. But what do you know what they did? So they basically added support for altcoins essentially no but it's very close to doing that and people have called the, saying that they are so the, what they've added for uh, support for is atomic swaps with altcoins specifically right, xmr right. monero right um and and because the samurai guys they're they like monero like well they they like monero in terms of what it offers as pro, from a privacy standpoint they are like mad at Bitcoin for not having better privacy right. or I'm not sure exactly who or what they're mad at. But and I don't want to misrepresent them. Right. But but at the end of the day, for me, this is about um, the monetary revolution and the privacy is thing is is great and important. And I hope that we can improve it in the future. But it's not as important as ending central banking. Agreed. And I think privacy will be something that won't happen on the base layer. I don't think most people will be transacting on the base layer in 10 years. 15 years, I think that'll be something that'll reserve for much larger economic actors. Yeah, I um, agree we, with that. We were talking about channel factories earlier. Single UTXOs could onboard thousands of people onto the Lightning Network. Uh, Lightning Network is already like a lot more private um, and can get more private as we go. There's Liquid, there's um, many other, uh, there's, you know, what Samurai is doing actually helps privacy, um, crossing but signature aggregation, all these things. I think they're solved problems in the future. I think they are problems today. And I, I'm, I'm glad that people are working on tools um, to mitigate these things. But um, man, I just wish there would be less flaming and more like honest discussion about this stuff. Um, Giacomo is like, I mean, obviously like everything Giacomo says, there's a little bit of tongue in cheek, there's a little bit of a joke to everything he says. Um, so him calling them out in that way is completely on brand for Giacomo. And I, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but I would love to see like people like Giacomo sit down and talk with people like um, from Samurai, like Max from, uh, and, and um, was it Nopara from Wasabi and like have like an honest discussion and not like name call and not like call each other shit coiners. And it's like on all sides of this discussion, I'd love to see like a little bit more honest, like calm, debate and well and, and that's why i have to navigate this with heuristics and it's why i said i have samurai blocked on twitter is because like i i don't know enough about the privacy protocols because first of all right, i don't use too. the mixers and it's not because um i don't value privacy like I, i've done episodes on 
wasabi and how to use it and like why it's important and all that those types of things but i don't really use it myself uh i have used it and i use it mostly like for um coins that i put on lightning but like i don't mix all my coins like just out of the gate and the reasons for that are multifaceted for one i don't know for sure that those coins won't be de-anonymized somehow anyway um in which case it's basically just a waste of you know whatever i'm paying to get all those coins mixed uh secondly i have sometimes a little bit of concerns about like splitting up the utxos that much like having that many chunks of smaller smallish utxo sizes may be a problem right if like we see a huge demand for chain space later on in the future and then the third piece for me and this is just why i don't like blanket mix everything is because um the your ability to comply with any type of audit is basically zero after you've fully mixed all of your coins. Like you have a virtually no ability to comply with an audit. And a lot of people will say, oh, well, it's the government. You shouldn't be willing to comply. Like, okay, well, have you ever had the IRS try to make your life hell with an audit? Because it sucks. And trust me, you wanna be able to comply so that you can just get it over with. Like, and whatever they're gonna say, you have to pay them, you're gonna have to pay them or you're gonna go to jail. So like the easier it is to comply with the mafia um, and keep them off your back and keep them from throwing you in their prison, the better, trust me. Um, so I have to navigate these things with heuristics and samurai, the way they conduct themselves a lot of times is like really immature. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and I know people that like, I would say that I pretty much trust who t have told me they're good guys, like deep, like what they're doing, like they're, they're, they're on brand for the mission and yeah, the way they do their whole Twitter thing, it's a little weird and like maybe they shouldn't attack Nopara, but, um, people, some people I've talked to have reassured me that like, they're not bad actors. But I'm just using heuristics here. The way that they behave, the way that they uh, coordinate, the way that they have engaged, you know, the Wasabi team, I think is uh, cause for concern. So I just don't, I just don't pay attention to them at all. Uh, I, I mean, I, I would love to see a third competitor come into the space, and I'd love to see more discussion. I'd love to see more competition and more, just more about coin joints because I, I do think that they are a piece of the privacy puzzle. So. Well, legitimizing Monero, that, that, that in my mind, that's an attack. Like that, that's, that's no good. That's no bueno. And that's like the first, you know, any, anything that they're doing to legitimize Monero, like I, I'm not on board with that because that, um, it's an, it's an attack on Bitcoin's ability to continue to end central banking, which is like I said, is the most important thing. And I understand people, people's concerns, uh, and values around privacy, uh, don't legitimize shit coins. That That is the first thing in my mind. And again, these are just heuristics that I'm using to navigate this. Um, now, I had Samurai blocked long before, you know, they ever started talking about Monero or looking to implement these abilities to atomic swap with Monero. Um, and it just confirms, like, th this is why I'm, I'm able to do this with heuristics with a lot of things in Bitcoin, where, like, you have these principles, you stick to the principles, and then when people get blindsided by these things that they didn't expect is because they're not uh, navigating situations heuristically. Yeah, and just like very briefly on Monero itself, um, this is one of the ones that's a little bit harder for folks to um, dissect as to why it is an issue um, because they're like, oh, well, you know, it's more private. Everything's better about it, right? And, uh, you know, and they have ASIC resistance, which is a good thing. Um, these are all, in my opinion, um, very like misinformed things. Um, and we do have an, uh, we have an episode coming out um, for what Bitcoin did um, should be coming out this week with Nadav Cohen. So if you're not, oh, you got to meet Nadav uh, in Miami, right? Uh, remind me. Uh, 
shorter guy, he's glasses, um, super nice. I can't I, every we met oh, so many people. Yeah, I saw him like eight times, so I thought like uh, you were with me. But I'm sure I probably met him. Just briefly on Monero, like they they hard fork um, almost every upgrade. So it, it used to be like every six months, uh, but now it's like I think 12 months or something like that. Um, they also, there's like different security assumptions in, in their, um, their, their cryptography. It uses different cryptography, um, that is less well known. Um, there's obviously the inflation, um, problem as you well know. Um, I was looking, I thought I had notes on this and I was trying to bring it up, but I can't find it. So anyway, you can't Monero. verify the, uh, the ver you can't audit the supply like you can with Bitcoin. It's much, much, much more, uh, difficult to do if not impossible. Well, they say you can do it, but then you're you're kind of um, trusting some some cryptographic assumptions, which yeah, I don't understand. Yeah, that's not an audit. <laughs> I don't understand them, so. Yeah. Anywho, so yeah, Mon Monero is a shitcoin. Absolutely. Anything else, Ben, before we sign off? Uh, no, I think that's it, dude. All right, guys, thanks for watching. Ben hates my awkward send-offs, so <laughs> he, he's going to have to come up with something better because I like awkward. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Did you see this guy t posting I in the to chat? Record. Damn it.